All right, Jackson, back in town. Back on the backstroke, the backhaul. So this is going to be a two-week, a week gap for listeners, but yeah. a less than 24-hour gap yeah. for you and I. Right. You've headed to Missoula. You've auctioneered. You're back. Swinging. Was this the same auction you did last year that had the Yellowstone people at it? No, this is this is different. Yeah. Sure. Yep, new deal, but it went off. It went off so good. Actually, one of the best, probably actually not one of, it was the best benefit auction that I have ever done, that I've ever conducted. Do you think you finally come into your own or do they just have good stuff they were selling? Yeah, maybe a little of both, you know. As you get older into it, you get a little more seasoned and whatever. I I think here's here's the funny thing about it. In the auction industry, auctioneers are all about professionalism, clean cutness, just being like the model human placed in the room to be the centerpiece of the attention to conduct an auction, right? Clean cut. I mean, starched, pressed, just prim and proper. And that's kind of, if, if you had to generalize the auction industry, that would be what it is. And it's, it's funny because I found my success in the benefit auction world from being the most extreme opposite to, is it the antithesis? Is that the word for that? That's the correct word. The antithesis of the perfect auctioneer is what I am when I do these. But I found that people respond to it so well and seem to open their, open their wallets up in a, in a pretty great fashion in a way that they always have me back. You know, I, I would probably bid more if my auctioneer also had a, a big old dip in their lip, you know, kind of that, <laughs> that juice <laughs> dropping out the corner of their mouth. flaw coming out. <laughs> You know, teeth stained, you know, they, they smile, you know, someone wins a bid and you smile down at that and you got that, <laughs> got the that, that orange juice in your teeth from When you from see dipping. some, you probably see a lot of that around here being a dentist. Is that what you mean? The antithesis? <laughs> I know you don't chew, but do you do it just for a prop? No, a prop no. prop for your no. benefit? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we might have to, we might have to look at that. Oh, goodness. So... Anyway, it, it, it just went off. It went off great. I like to do the first year that I do a benefit auction for an organization. And, and to, to clue you in, you guys listening, I'm not talking about this wouldn't be like, you know, Uncle Bob got in a car wreck and has some medical bills. We're doing a benefit auction for him. These benefits that we mentioned in the last episode and are uh, reporting on today, it's more nonprofit organizations. They vary from, I've done auctions for historical museums. Each, most most places have some kind of a foundation attached. I've done hospitals that have, a, you know, the hospital foundation, whatever the name of the hospital is, they have a foundation attached that does kind of charity work and things for their patients. I've done those. This particular one was for a wildlife conservation which can kind of make you raise your eyebrows, but I feel like this is one of the few places that I see doing wildlife conservation that makes me like, hey, this is, this is cool. This is good. They're basically have, have gathered up. Oh, I think they have like 1,300 acres right in the middle of the Bitterroot Valley in Western Montana. And it's, it's kind of protected and locked up and safe from the ever expanding housing developments that continue to push, you know, south out of Missoula. And so this is 
this is protected, set aside, and they're very hunter friendly, have people in, have kids out, do a lot of outreach with, with kids from town to come out and learn how to, you know, learn about habitat and the wildlife there and, and, you know, the, the role of hunting and stuff and all of that. And so I'm happy to do this one, but I, I always offer a money back guarantee my first time. Well, at any time really, but the first time they're always a little leery about hiring you and, you know, it's, it's like their main event. It's where they get the bulk of their funds for the year. And so it's a lot of, a lot of pressure riding on this event. And so I say, Hey, money back guarantee, usually give them about a half price first year offering. But I say, <laughs> I tell them this will be the, I promise this will be the best auction you've ever had. It'll be the most entertaining fun time you've had. And if you agree and you enjoy and you want to book again next year, it won't be for the same introductory pricing that it about doubles. And they always, they always come running afterwards because they're like, well, put it on your calendar for next year. Let's do it. Let's do it. And it's, it's interesting. And I, I'm starting to understand that. I think the more that I understand this philosophy that I'm going to share, the more success I have in doing these benefits. And maybe you, you can apply this in your, in your trades, in your lives, however, but most auctioneers think that, well, they love being the center of the room, kind of the attention that everybody's put on. That's just the auctioneer thing. And they feel like the numbers and their, they call it their chant, which would be their, hey, 35, 40, 45, 50. The way they call the numbers, that is what brings the excitement and that's what brings the money right and that they conduct that but i've realized now as i get older and more experienced in this benefit auction world that the numbers have almost zero to do with the success of the auction and it is completely about the experience for the people in the crowd they don't you're not going to you know wow them into bidding going wow this guy has a, a good sound i'm going to bid more money in a benefit auction, it is, this guy makes me feel happy and entertained and I'm enjoying myself. And when people enjoy themselves, they're so willing to do what you ask them to do, which is pay more money, pay more money, raise more money for this, this cause, whatever that may be. I just happen to have a really good uh, bid call, a good chant that goes with it. So I, I have this ability to, I think it's all rooted from having no shame. Like you can't embarrass me. I've got no shame when I'm in front of a crowd. <laughs> so I'll say whatever, do whatever. I'll embarrass somebody. I don't care. And anyway, you combine that with, with the numbers, the numbers being the second most important thing. And people just, they just come they just eat out of your hand. <laughs> and it happened last night and it was, it was good. It was a great experience. What was the... What was the best item that was auctioned? There was, oh, what did we see? This is this goes back to the point Jackson said. As long as you're entertained, it doesn't even matter what you're selling. No, but honestly, he, Jackson doesn't even remember what was and sold. And that's what people say. Well, and seriously, I mean, you were you're teasing, right? But it's like <laughs> someone asked, "What did that bring?" I'm like, I I don't know. I hope the clerk wrote it down because I'm just up here having fun, calling numbers, razzing everybody. And when it's over, someone writes a check for the item. Nobody cares about the items. Nobody goes to a benefit auction to be like, man, I really want this special river vacation trip, this three-night vacation. They don't go there for that. 
they just go there to support the cause. And okay, we came away with the, with the deal. Let me tell you what was, what's, you asked about items. I mean, it was, we sold a shotgun that, you know, sold for a couple thousand dollars. We sold, we sold an original piece of art that sold for $7,000, a lot of, of that kind of thing. But the amazing part was at the beginning of the whole event, like, welcome, here's your food. Before we start, here's what we're going to do. And they do this, it's called a paddle call, where the, the organizer of the, the guy that's in charge, the, the chairman of the organization, gets up and it happened to be his last year at, with the organization after like 17 or 20 years of being there. And so he, he kind of gives an impassioned speech about the importance of this place and what it does for kids and whatnot and, and, and adults. And it was, it was good. He kind of had everybody, you know, their attention focused. And then I came up and again, this has nothing to do with me. It's just fun to be this part of the auction. Anyway, it's fun to facilitate this, but at the, during the paddle call portion of the event, you just ask for money, just, just donations. They're not getting anything like the auction. They bid on, and they get something, but the paddle call portion of the night, they get nothing. So you stand up and say, all right, everybody, this is, a, this is great. Thank you so much for your words, for being here. And last night I said, and I've never asked for this much money to start out, but I said, I'm going to try this. I feel like this is a special night because it's Sam was the guy, it was his last night. He's retiring, riding off into the sunset after years with this place. And I said, who will bid 20,000? Who will donate? I say bid, but who will donate $20,000? just write a check for 20 grand. And this guy's like, Doop, puts his hand up. He's like, I will. And to me, I'm just a regular old peasant. You know, I'm like, <laughs> goodness, 20 grand for nothing. So he, he does that. And then you, you, you go down in succession, counting your way down to about a hundred dollars in the end. But the next, the next grouping. So everyone's going crazy clapping and while they're all excited. Okay. Who'll give $10,000. Six people raised their hand. Boop, 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 boop. Just like that, eighty thousand dollars, like in like in a minute, and with nothing in return. Uh, so it just goes to illustrate the point that if people feel something and you can create an emotion in them, then that's what gets them to give. Not me standing up and saying twenty thousand. Will, will you give twenty thousand dollars in a special way? It's because the guy that the the, the donors felt something. And so anyway, that's what I'm starting to really realize when you you'd initially asked, was it successful because of, you know, what was it? I feel like I'm starting to understand the, the philosophy a little more. I'm curious when you said, I feel like this is a special night. <laughs> and then when you asked for donations and no one did anything, would you have been like, huh? I guess I, 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 guess I didn't huh, read the room. I read that one wrong. <laughs> or, I know. That would have been the fun, that part but I like oh, that would have been funny. Have you have you considered when when you're kind of marketing yourself for these these benefit auctions and people are reaching out? Have you considered saying you know on your your promotional materials, you know, you know benefit auction, you know X Y Z featuring? You got a few okay. things. You got the jacks. Well, they okay. You got. <laughs> Jackson Allen laugh. from Wild Wild West YouTube. You're so dumb. You got <laughs> the Jacks. 
Uh, the jacks featured in Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s racing team. You're forgetting one. What other one? From Steady, From the, steady wheel. the Wheel. Yeah, <laughs> I, I might be dragging that down. I don't know if you can use that yet. I tell but you, have you, are you Have you considered, though, in those kind of things where... You like featuring Jackson Allen from Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s racing team of Jack of Jackson Allen of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s <laughs> motor racing motor sports. Company. I don't know. That's... No, but I no, I haven't considered that. But I will tell you, nothing makes me feel more just uncomfortable than when I get the program and I open it up and they're like, "Welcome to the such and such benefit for the such and such foundation," featuring. The magnificent Jackson Allen auctioneer. They will put that. They'll put that. And I'm like, oh, that is so not me. I don't want my name. I don't. People are going to have a good time. They know. They know where to find me. They can call the organizers. Don't, don't put the magnificent Jackson Allen. I think, I think you need to give them what they're going to put something. I think you need to Try get to out ahead of it and <laughs> say, this is, here's my bio yeah, featuring. It should. And I think it should be featuring. The jacks of YouTube. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that one doesn't flow very good. I think featuring a wheeler from Steady at the Wheel. Yeah, I, I like that. But I think I think you can I think you can get a little more mileage out of that that racing team connection. Yeah. Although, depending on the event, they're not typical NASCAR fans. A lot of these twenty thousand dollar donor types. Maybe they should just put on the cu- on the program a picture of Dale Earnhardt Jr. and <laughs> Dale Earnhardt with the NASCAR cars because everyone's going to recognize that. Right. And then just say feature Jackson Allen of JRM team, you know, in the fine print. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that would draw any issues from their legal side. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder if it's a nonprofit organization, how much... Yeah, maybe maybe they can't even go there. I don't know. Maybe it's shielded because it's a nonprofit. Yeah, anyway. I tell you what, I was going to tell you one of the one of the. There was two things from the auction last night. One that has to do with cattle that I think you'll get a kick out of. But before I share that, I want to share this other thing that happened. So there is this piece of artwork, and I should have brought my program with me. Some of you out there would recognize the artist. Can't remember who it was. A Western artist that that has quite a following and some renown in the Western art world. And there was a husband and wife. The husband has passed away. The wife is in, in, in her older age is starting to try to donate and use some of his artwork to support these causes. So she brings this and it's big. I mean, it's, I don't know, dimension wise, but I mean, it's, it's like as wide as my arm spread out. It's this great big original piece and some cowboys, you know, coming home from rounding up cattle or something out in the woods. And a beautiful frame, all this. And I don't, I, I'll admit, I don't know anything about art, but you could tell like this is, this is quality and it's an original. And it came from the collection of this, of this couple. And so everyone's really talking about, they had some art wizard, for lack of a better term, come up and talk about this, saying how this is a piece that he's been after, you know, he was after a piece from this same artist, not this piece, but another very famous piece. And so on and so forth. Anyway, a lot of fanfare around this item. And here comes old Wooly Jacks, you know, the hair, high hair and beard and all that to these fancy folk. And I start selling and, you know, we're having a good time and it's a lot of older folks bidding on this that know what it is. And I think they valued it. I think they valued it around 6,000 in the program. 
So we're going and we're going and we get up to $7,000. So I'm feeling good. Anytime you can beat the value that they put on it, it's good. It's a good item, right? It's going along and, and I'm always sure like when I'm auctioneering, like I'm, I know I'm communicating with the bidder. So I know like, hey, they bid. You're in. Now you guys, okay, you're all out. This guy's in. You verify it several times, especially at a benefit auction. And when you get into that kind of money. And so here we are sold $7,000. And the, the guy that I had in on this immediately sour face, red face, angry face. Now I'm, I'm confident while I'm doing the auction, but the second I say sold and I assign to the person that I've been taking bids from when their body language goes complete 180. When I say sold, I really start to struggle with confidence. And I'm like, was he not in? He had no, no. I'm, and this is all split second, right? It's happening fast and in front of a crowd. And I'm like, no, he, he was in, this was the guy he bid on it like three, four, five times to get to $7,000. And he's mad. And I'm asking for his bidder number and he's looking at his wife, shaking his head. And I'm like, Oh no, like, did I get the wrong guy? This is, and it's a mess. If you get the wrong thing and you ever, if you ever have to go reopen, and it happens or you have to reopen an auction, it's like the mark of shame. Like, cause you miscommunicated, you weren't clear communicating to the bidders and it's the mark of shame. So this is the highest, I think this was the highest selling item of the auction items. Oh, and I'm like, oh. and everyone's clapping and hollering and there's this 20 second window where I'm like, I gotta figure out what, what's going on. So I go over to the guy and I'm like, you all right? You know, you okay? And he looks at me and shakes his head. No, I'm not okay. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to start this thing over. It's going to be embarrassing. And he goes, I know the guy bought this piece. He paid $22,000 for it. This is a, this is a travesty that it brought $7,000. He was just torqued because he thought it should have brought way more money. Did you jump in and say, well, we, you can, would you take a bid of 20,000? <laughs> no, no, what I should have. That would have been good. Say, well, we, we could fix we that. We could fix that real quick. <laughs> Bring a smile to that. Turn that frown upside down. Right. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So, okay. so that was a relief immediate. Oh, huge, huge. Because I went from thinking I messed everything up to like, oh, he's just mad that nobody else, like he's mad at the other attendees for not supporting it a little more. So, well, they shouldn't have valued it at six thousand dollars then. Oh, that's true. That other guy sounds like he might have overpaid because usually art goes up in value. Right? Yeah, that's true. So if he knows that guy paid twenty some thousand for it and it was valued at six, yeah, maybe he overpaid. Yeah, and I, I personally, I don't like. I always tell the organizers like, don't put values on stuff because everybody wants a deal at an auction, right? Like subconsciously, you're not there because they want. I already mentioned they're not here because they want the items. But when you see that this is what it's worth. You, you just subconsciously go, well, I don't, don't want to pay more. Like you don't want to buy a thousand dollar gift certificate for $2,000, right? Like you, Hey, I want to buy this for $900. Cause I got a hundred dollars worth of value out of it. It's just, so the lesson then is not to not put values, but to put really, really high values. Yeah, it's really so people, so put that thing at like 40,000 and yeah. if someone gets it for 15. They think they really stole that thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had another piece of art. It was original art. And this one, this was a little awkward last night. And this kind of art just doesn't sell that good these days. It was, it was original art. She's a local artist. I mean, it's good artwork, but just the style of it's kind of aged out, I guess. And anyway, she was there 
and she wanted to present it. So oh, no. she, she tells me before, this is a $5,000 value. And the, the, the organization valued it at 4,000. She valued it at 5,000 in my ear right before it started. And I'm like, okay. And it was, it was a kind of a peaceful picture of some trumpeter swans on the water swimming with some mallards, ducks, kind of a pheasants forever type, you know, thing. Just not quite the right feel for the crowd. And sure, she wanted to present it. And I just had a bad feeling about it. So I go up and all the fanfare I can come up with for this piece of artwork. And who get 5,000, you know? Oh, not a, I mean, nothing. You could hear a pin drop. And I'm like, okay, hey, but come on, who get 2,500? Nothing. So I'm like, oh, and she's sitting here holding it up. She wanted to Vanna White this thing around the room. It's one thing like if she donates it and she's not there, but when, and it's not like, I have no say in it. It's what people are going to pay for it. I mean, you can only do so much, right? But so, who give a thousand? Hey, but give that up a thousand dollars. And a lady in the back, it was like a mercy bid. She could tell. She bids a thousand. So then you start going up from there. All right, who gave 1500 People start looking away. It's when people look away and they don't want to make eye contact with you. You can tell it's like, this is a sinking ship bad. Couldn't get enough. I got one bid on it. That was it. And I milked it and did all I could and sold it for a thousand. And she, the artist just whoop, whoop, just beelines over and out. And I was like, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I mean, oh, man, do, what am I going to do? Do better art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, maybe a different you, piece. You should have said, hey, that other picture that we should, we sold for a lot. Say, try doing some of those. Replicate that. Say, that guy will probably let you take a couple of pictures of it. Go try doing some of those <laughs> for next year. I should have. That's like that's sound advice. Maybe try, maybe try eagles next year instead of swans yeah. or something. Yeah. Like a powerful eagle. Yeah. Like do an eagle, you know, fighting a, fighting a falcon or something. Yeah, like like a death plunge out of the sky with like America written in the clouds or something. Yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> imagine you're trying to sell a, like a a t-shirt at, at Sturgis, South Dakota. Yeah, like yes. A, with an eagle and a motorcycle. Yeah, and some lightning and an American flag in the back. And Do that next moon. year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, like in in the moon, a wolf howling yeah. in the moon. <laughs> yeah, doing like that next year. You yes. maybe it'll sell better. <laughs> my thing, my thing is, somebody's buying those shirts, man. <laughs> Somebody's buying those shirts in the truck stop because they've been in there for the last 30 years of my life unchanged. Oh, but someone, someone's buying someone's them. Someone's buying them. Yeah. So then the other one that you'll get a kick out of, and this is kind of an interesting topic, I guess, just as a general topic of discussion, but there was a, there was a guy that donated a, a longhorn beef. So like a just beef like to butcher. Yeah. Yeah. For your, yeah. Yep. Like a, a full carcass of a longhorn. And uh, which is, which is great. It was a good donation. And he even said like, Hey, if this sells good at the end of the auction, you can surprise the runner up bidder by offering them a second one. So the winner thinks they're getting, I got this. And then you can say, Hey, if you'll match the winner's bid, you can also have a longhorn. Very gracious of the donor. Right? So I was trying to think of how to, to beef this up. <laughs> My description. Very, did you catch it? And I, I don't, I can't deliver that stuff like you do. You know what? I, I, I got it, and I apologize because I was thinking of something else about Longhorns when you said that. 
I'm with you on the Longhorn beef. I'm kind of like, well, I, you know, I mean. Well, it's known being a little bit stringy, a little bit tough. A little tough. When you make a donation for this, it's usually a tax write-off. Yeah. So if you try and sell that Longhorn steer in the sale, yeah, it's going to bring nothing because those Longhorns don't bring anything at yeah. the, the sale. That's very true. But the IRS isn't going to know the, the difference between a Longhorn steer and a Black yeah. Angus steer <laughs> no. at the sale. So you actually might end up financially ahead by donating your longhorn steers and two of them now. to benefit yeah. he was probably saying you know what i'll, <laughs> I'll do four or five or six, all of them all the ones that i have i'll donate because he, he probably comes off actually better head for the write-off uh-huh. of the the value of a steer uh-huh. not You're a right. longhorn steer because it's right. going to be just a steer a so steer. He's gonna, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point so that's what i was doing he's doing the you did the beef it up thing i i caught it but i was thinking of that about the valuation of a of a steer versus a longhorn steer selling through the sale. And, and you know, this is the kind of crowd that they're going to tell their friends, we're having longhorn tonight. And the friends will be like, wow, longhorn. I'll be darned. You're like, yeah, longhorn. They don't know what, of course, what, what you've just mentioned about. They're typically stringer. And, and the, the place is, it's kind of a Western field. It's kind of a show place. And I think they use the longhorns to really walk people back into the old west mm. so they're the longhorn longhorns so i'm trying to think of ways to 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 bump this up a little bit how do you kind of maybe approach it in a way and and what i ended up using was something that a lot of people don't know about and i meant to google to see if there was an update to this law but i don't believe there is i'm sure i would have heard of it because it was such a big deal when they rescinded this law or this rule so, and I, so I mentioned this to the crowd. I'm like, this is not a political statement. This is just some facts that I want you to know about your beef. This is why you may want to bid on this item. Why you're going to want to put a full beef carcass in your freezer that you know it came from this guy's place and it's lived in this little nook forever. This is why you want to bid on this. And the reason that I used was a, an old rule called country of origin labeling. The law was called COOL. That's the acronym, Country of Origin Labeling. And that old rule stated, you have to, in your meat packaging, in the grocery stores, you have to say where your meat comes from. So this this meat is a product of Canada. This is a product of Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, whatever. I believe time flies, but I'm positive this was during the Obama years. The World Trade Organization pressured the United States to rescind that rule that you have to label which country the meat came from and they did so there's no longer a rule that says you have to state where the meat comes from so i'm telling the crowd this i said you can go to the store and i'm not i mean i'm not knocking other countries beef it's just in the day and age we live there's no reason not to know where your food comes from i mean it's so easy to know everything i mean you can track you can order a, a 50 cent sticker off some website online and you can have a tracking number for the sticker that was cheaper than the postage you paid to have it shipped. There's no reason you shouldn't know where your food comes from. It's so simple. So I'm sharing this and saying, you know, that's, that's how it stands right now. You, you don't, it can come from anywhere. And you wouldn't believe the jaws that were on the floor of all these, these wealthy folks that didn't know about that. Had no idea. They're shaking their heads going, what? I mean, one lady couldn't get over it the whole time. So then I go on and I sell them and they brought, I think they brought $1,600 a piece. 
and then the buyer has to pay for the, the the butchering costs as well. So I mean, they bought they brought a lot of money. Oh man, that guy got more for his Longhorn steers. <laughs> well, I guess it was donated, but yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, she couldn't recover the whole auction. She's just sitting there shook, and I'm like, hey, no, go you got go look it up. This is an interesting thing that that kind of just got. You know, it's not even a law. It was just a rule. So some un, you know, elected officials just repealed the rule because the World Trade Organization pressured them. And now nobody knows where their meat comes from. It could come, you could have a, you could have two packages, you know, depending on what meat company's selling them that could be from, from South America and from Texas at the same time. You're sitting next to each other in a store, you'd have no idea. So anyway, that was the other interesting well, little little the, Yeah. How do you compete with the dry aging though from the transport from another country? <laughs> Ooh. You know, especially if they get held up at the port hey. in Los Angeles, you know, they're out there for a lot of days hanging in a container. Mm-hmm. Out there on the ocean swinging around. That's true. That's a good selling point of Just why they should continue to dry age that. <laughs> wonderful tasting. It's been out of a container for six months. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's in a little bit of humid environment. And that's salt, the salty air helps helps preserve and oh flavor. man. Yeah. Yeah. I think all those thoughts must have been going through this lady's head because she was she was really concerned. Oh man. Well, so, we need to talk about your new truck. Mm, but I that's right. you know what there's a just this morning, I was I was just flipping through my news feed, and I I saw an article that I wanted to ask you about real quick. So fuel taxes, mm. fuel taxes are used for <laughs> maintaining roads, supposedly, 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 allegedly, or whatever. That's what fuel right. taxes. That's are supposed what they're to do. designated for. So this is an article saying there's states that are looking for ways to keep funds coming in to maintain the nation's roads due to fuel efficiency, inflation, and electric cars, there's not as much fuel tax coming in. Hmm. So they're looking for new ways to have money. Not as much fuel tax coming in. Because if you're using an electric car, you're not using any gas. And fuel tax is not subjective to the price of fuel. It's a fixed cents per gallon that doesn't change. So if, if fuel goes up, the tax doesn't also go up. So that's why, okay, I'm just wrapping my mind So better around. fuel efficiency, inflation, yeah. and uh, electric cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so a proposal that seems to be gaining steam is to charge drivers by the mile instead of gallon. So you get charged a tax every mile you drive versus every gallon of gas that you use. It's a great incentive to be efficient, isn't it? We want you to be more efficient. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to charge you by the mile now instead. We're going to set it by the fuel, so... <laughs> We're going to mandate that you have to drive electric cars by the state. And then we're going to actually start charging you taxes on the miles you drive in the electric car that we said you have to drive. Or a great thing they might think about is just using the money they have for what it's designated for. Another one is taxing electricity from public vehicle charging stations, which would be just in line. That's, that's normal. Fine. That's true. Because you're, the, you're being charged for your fuel. Yeah. Why would you not be? Yeah. And then another one is to tax charges on door-to-door package deliveries. So every Amazon package that you order, you're getting taxed something on it for the deliveries of that. Hey, that could be the housewife thing. When housewives and stuff get angry about their Amazon packages, even me, when I, you get in the way of my shop deliveries, I don't like that. Yeah. So that, I thought that was interesting that in the push to be efficient and, and this and that. I'm glad you brought this up because did you hear about the derailment yesterday that made national news? Yeah. Happened yesterday morning. Yeah. In Montana. Say what it is. So there was a, a train 
crossing the Yellowstone River in Columbus, Montana, hauling asphalt. When I say, that's something we need to talk about too, asphalt. I learned what asphalt is at the truck show last week. It's another one of the words that everybody's misusing. Asphalt is an oil. It's not a road. <laughs> it's the a, oil they use. The oil they use. It was hauling asphalt and hot, hot oil. They use different kinds of hot oil from the refineries for all kinds of different things. Anyway, it was hauling that and it was hauling some sulfur, which is a natural product, but it was hauling sulfur. And as it was crossing the river, the Yellowstone River, the bridge collapsed. It didn't derail. At first they built it as a train derailment. The bridge collapsed into the water, just which is outrageous that a railroad bridge would collapse. It's not like these cars are overloaded. You can't, they just, they're preset on what they can haul. You fill them up and they go. And all of the infrastructure in all of the train tracks has to be designed to hold this max load that trains are going to haul. It's way different than semis in my mind. And it's not like some trucker took out an overpass with an oversized load. This is, this is standard stuff. And the article I read yesterday, reading up on it, said that there's no information. I'm sure they'll find it. But at the time, there's no information on when this bridge was inspected, when it was, they don't know anything. And so it just goes back to this whole thought that I, like, how is it that in this country, the infrastructure is so bad? It's so bad. And other, I know other countries are worse. We'll get those comments where people are like, you think it's bad there? You should come drive in Canada. I have. It's horrible in Canada. Well, look, it's the, horrible. The railroads, that's going to be private though, isn't it? I, I, I know there's got to be some huge federal money that goes into keeping railroads moving, shaking as far as projects but, go. But I, like the railroad tracks around here, because our property butts up to railroad tax, railroad tracks. So I, to, when I, the fence is all rotted out and I'm redoing that. And mm-hmm. the railroad company is giving me money to, to buy fencing materials. Are they? They, by law, they have to just even like all the, the expansion of, of, and, and, you know, the wild west, all those railroad building was private companies. Mm-hmm. I think it's private. Like you see BNSF crews maintaining the tracks, but they have to get billions of dollars from the government. Yes. I would not disagree with that. But as far as it being the infrastructure of the country, it's not like a, like a bridge crossing the Missouri river. Like with a vehicle a, bridge, like a vehicle bridge, that's going to be a state or a, you know or a federal situation. I don't isn't know. It? I don't know when it comes to when it comes to crossings. Maybe general railroad tracks, but crossings to me seem like they're a different thing. They're like a governed thing because they're crossing federal waters and and whatnot. But the public doesn't have access to them to the track. Yeah, it's a private track. No, they don't. This would be an interesting thing to have a railroad person on. Maybe to we'll shed some we'll light have to on. Check into that. But it's got it. I mean, there's no way that they're just like, I don't know. You guys do what you want with the bridge. I don't, we don't care because government's just not that way. They, I mean, I'm, there's got to be some massive supposed <laughs> oversight into rail infrastructure because they're always talking about it. Not that this means anything, but politicians are always talking about railroads and infrastructure and bills to, to fund railroad infrastructure and, you know, highway infrastructure. So... I don't know how it's, I don't know how it's spread out or. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to spend some time looking yeah. at that. And if anyone listening 
wants to comment on it. Maybe I'm someone sure has a little insight on how it goes. My guess is that they give all this money out and maybe they don't. Maybe it's not like they found that they gave all those extra billions to Ukraine in their little audit last week. Maybe I would, it's something like that where they just don't really know where they're I money. would venture a guess that there is probably a lot of federal money that goes to railroads, but there's also a lot of lobbying money that goes to less stringent looking into things. See, I'm, I don't well, know. See, where my mind goes with waters and stuff is... You know, if you're going to have a livestock trailer washout, we dealt with this at the, at the stockyards, at the, at the cattle sale barn in Lewistown. Even their manure pile there, you had to have this very detailed plan that was governed by the EPA. You know, this, your drainage has to go this way. It has to be filtered. It has to be diverted. Your manure pile can only be here for so long. And it was all to do with waters. And so it's hard to imagine that, that, Something as vital as a rail crossing is just—it would be hard. Uh, it would be hard to imagine until you just look at Ohio. <laughs> yeah, it's true though. That's <laughs> true. Then it becomes very imaginable. That's true. So I—I yeah. I don't know, but my mind turned. I guess my mind—I can't speak to the facts of how the how a railroad bridge over a, a river is governed, but my mind immediately goes to transportation infrastructure, I guess, and and seeing what I see and bouncing over the bridges that I bounce over every week. Casper, Wyoming. Here's another one. They just spent two years diverting traffic. We've been driving cattle trucks on this terrible detour through Casper, Wyoming for two years. They just opened the bridge last week and I, I came across it. It is embarrassing that after two years of work on this bridge, that's and this isn't like, I'm not saying this is a government thing. This is just a, how is all this government money spent for two years on this bridge? And it's a 45 mile an hour bridge. If you don't want to knock your teeth out on the dashboard, you're crossing it. I was so disappointed in it. I couldn't believe all these years we've been waiting for it. And now it's just as bad as all of Casper has well, always been. Well, the good news is our help is on the way. Help is on the way. We're going to start getting charged per mile. <laughs> So we'll probably all get a nice little electric monitor in our car yeah, to monitor how many miles we drive. And then also our, our packages that we order online will start just tagging. Then, then those bridges will be fixed. Well, and think of this though. Seriously, think of this. Do you mind paying more money for a product that's, that's great, that's quality and good, that lasts and works? Do you mind paying some more money for it? I don't. You, you're like, you've always in my entire life have been like the example of try to buy once and by quality, like let's buy the right thing. Let's not buy six junky things because in the end, you're going to spend more money than if you bought one quality thing that would last. I'll be completely honest. I wouldn't mind paying more fuel taxes if I knew that the roads were going to be pleasant, that the bridges would be smooth, that bridges wouldn't be collapsing. I would be more willing like, hey, I'm paying for it, but it's a great product. Yeah, I pay. we were just talking about with my with my insurance. Remember a few episodes ago, and the mechanics and all that. Like, hey, I don't mind paying. I just want it to be quality product. I feel like it's the same with fuel tax, man. Like, yeah, give me some more fuel tax so I can have a bunch more crappy roads that rip the suspension out of all my trucks and trailers every week. Like, sweet. <laughs> Like you should do a less fuel tax and give us some money and subsidize our repairs because it's because of your stinking roads that we have such junk equipment that gets inspected and we get put out of service because our equipment's hammered from crossing your bridges and driving through your potholes. Well, 
Yeah. Die. <laughs> I don't it's, have any answer. It's a bad thing. You get truckers started on that and it's, and, and it's all fresh on my mind because I bobtailed this new truck home, meaning I had no trailer. I had no load. So there you are. Just right. you in the road. Let's talk about your new truck. <laughs> so the background on this truck is that during the kidney stone removal recovery, I was, you know, kind of laying in bed there for a couple of days, feeling a little blue. Scrolling the gram a little bit. Scrolling the gram, responding to some YouTube comments, plotting my next moves. And one of the things that I like to do, I always like to be aware of the truck market. I like to know what trucks are worth, what equipment's worth. And the only way you can really stay apprised of the fluctuating market, which by the way, right now is on a, just a total skid, which in my mind is good. Everything's been so overpriced. I'm happy to see the truck and trailer market finally starting to, to drop. But you got to spend a little time online looking at, looking at trucks and kind of pretending like, mm, let's say I'm looking for a such and such truck. Let's see what we can find. So it allows you to keep, keep up on things. And I'm checking an auction site and I find a little truck that piqued my interest. Were you looking for this truck specifically? No, no, I was just browsing. Was just scrolling and caught your eye. Mm -hmm. I have like some ideas, some thoughts as I'm trucking a little less. I've, I've had the thought of like, because I love trucks. I've always loved trucks, buying, selling. As I've built my business up, I've always done that by buying and selling. I'm like on my 17th semi or something like that. And they're not like nice new semis. I just started, as we, we've talked about in the past, started from the very bottom and just kind of worked my way up and sideways and all the ways. So anyway, this truck, it just, I've thought about, you know, if I could find the right deals, it wouldn't be bad to buy some equipment and, you know, clean it up, shape it up and, you know, maybe sell a few trucks, a few things like that. Just as something to kind of do while I'm trucking less. And teach the kids a little more about mechanics and all that stuff. So I find this truck as I'm browsing and it spoke to me. Do you ever have, have you ever had something just kind of speak to you for, I don't even know why you're like, there's no, there's no reason that I like, I don't need this thing, but it just kind of just speaks across the, the wind. Okay. Jackson, Jackson. Look, 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 look. What, like what caught your eye about it? It was old. What year? 91. Okay. 1991, which some people say that's not old. That's the nineties. That's old to me. That was, I was five years old. So the, the date on it caught you. The date first caught my eye. Anything else Second about it? Second thing that caught my eye, it was, it was the same truck that they made all of the toy trucks modeled after when I was growing up. So you go into a truck stop, dad, immediately, here's how it'd go. You pull into the truck stop, I jump out, wash the lights, wash the headlights, wash the taillights, and then beeline it into the truck stop and go to the toy section. And that's where I would spend the rest of the fuel stop. Dad would fuel, he'd, you know, move the truck, pay for the fuel. Put it back. Yeah, put it, put back. it back. Put it, so, so I would go pick. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I would pick the, the toy of choice from each truck stop and I'd take it up to dad and ask every time, can I get this? And the answer was always put it back unless for some, I don't, I don't know what dictated what weeks and why, but about every fifth or sixth stop, it was a, okay. <laughs> for whatever, it's probably just a price point. Like if you just buy the, the cheap stuff, <laughs> the disposable toys, you, yeah, you're going to get them. Yeah. But if you, if you crept up into the toy truck die cast, kind of put it back, put it back. 
So all the toy trucks in the truck stops were modeled after this semi, which was a Kenworth T600. The T600 was Kenworth's very first aerodynamic truck. It was the first time that they made like their nose aerodynamic and they put fairings along the gas tanks and, and along the side and did all these things to make it efficient. And so the fleets began to buy these trucks. You, you have a Kenworth now, don't you? The yeah. one that you just rebuilt the motor on? Yeah, the one we overhauled last summer. What year is that one? That's a 2013. And it's a T660, which is like the new version. It's the continuation of the T600. They discontinued in 2007 would be the last year. Okay. And the one you, you came across... Was it T100? T600. T600. Okay. And you have a 660. I have a 660. Yeah. So I'm like, it's kind of in line with these trucks and I've just loved them, played with them when I was little. Though I don't know what happened. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I ended up with this, but we stopped one time in Billings and dad, we were at the Senex truck stop. I still don't understand how it happened. Maybe they gave dad a deal for buying so much fuel, but I bought a full sized Nylant was the company that made the toy semis back then. It was a black T600 with a big old cargo trailer. And it took those big old fat D-sized batteries. And they had like six buttons you could push and it would make the noises like the Jake brake. Or like the startup. And, and dad, he bought it. And so that's when I fell in love with T600s. It was from that toy. So I'm going to make it, you mentioned something there. I'm just going to go on a little tangent here. For okay. you. Where you said, you don't know, maybe you got to deal with this fuel or something. <laughs> this might be something to start trying that your fuel stops and see how it works for you. <laughs> okay. So I had a, when I was living in Nashville, I had a friend who just liked to see what he could get. He never stole stuff, but he liked to just see what he could get. Okay. So for instance, he would go fuel his car up and he'd, he'd go in and he'd be like, yeah, I just fueled my car up. I'm going to get that free uh, fountain drink and corn dog with the gas. <laughs> Almost always the cashier's like, okay. <laughs> really? He goes, yeah, I want to, he goes, you that deal you guys got, you know, the free corn dog with the tank of gas. I just filled up. I'm going to grab that corn dog. Okay. <laughs> you would not. So, wow. Well, unbelievable. Or like, that's funny. This is another one that he would do. We'd go through like a McDonald's drive through and he, he places his order like, oh, one Big Mac, two medium fries, four piece or five piece chicken McNugget and, you know, whatever. And so, you know, just a very random order. And then as he's between where he places order and the window, he'd rip a sheet of paper off whatever he had and he'd write out his order. Like he'd say one free Big Mac, two free medium fries, one free five piece chicken McNugget. All this random stuff. Whatever it's order. And then he'd just sign it, like scribble sign. He'd come be like, yeah, I was at a party this weekend and the manager of this place gave me this coupon for mcdonald's <laughs> really and more times than not the people are like oh okay <laughs> and now yeah. it, I, it's it's not not stealing is it yeah i mean it's like they can always say no you're not it's like it's like sanctioned thievery but it was just crazy <laughs> it was just crazy how 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 often like just no one suggestion just, he just he's so confident in it uh-huh. so if you're trucking with your kids and they want toys, maybe you just come up and say, Hey, this, I just got that, that, that filled my fuel up that 500, you know, you get that $500 fuel, the free, the free truck that comes with it. <laughs> see, see how many times it works. I have to really work on keeping a straight face. Straight and confident. <clears throat> I guess 
So maybe that's how you got that with dad. Hmm. Maybe dad tried to pull that tree. Maybe he did say hey, that. I got that. I got this $45 toy truck that comes with the fuel deal. Because <laughs> you have just going to, you know, that deal you guys have going or something, you know, whatever. You got to think through how you say it. But anyway, I need, sorry, uh, I no, that's went on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you found the truck that all your toy dreams were all modeled my toy from. Dreams, and you, you, you know, and you guys listening, those of you that have followed along on any social media or YouTube stuff, I, I really do have a problem to, to it. Like it's, it's become kind of a, I don't know if it's a downfall or what, but I, I do have a problem with going above and beyond to experience nostalgia from my my growing up years and it's usually in the form of some kind of equipment it's just it's my weakness so see a cab over that remind like hey there's a cab over like the one dad first bought i'm gonna i'm gonna it's got to be mine somehow here's another cab over like the one i learned how to drive in it's got to be mine somehow you know here's an old pickup that reminds me of i gotta relive that i'm always trying to recreate these memories and these feelings some of us just do the you know the five dollar a month apple music to listen to the music for that nostalgia. Would be so much cheaper, wouldn't it? Some of us go buy semis. Some of us just listen to a song. <laughs> oh goodness! So anyway, get but the point of the story and, and get rolling here. I got I I start watching this item. It was a little unique because it had it had a freshly overhauled engine. It had a big cam, four hundred horsepower Cummins motor, which is great. It's the same motor that Dad had. He still has actually in his international. He had an earlier series of that same engine in old blue, the old Freightliner. Put a million miles on all of them. They're, they're just great engines. Really cheap to work on. There's a, I'm going to call it a myth. And some of you guys out there might refute this, but the myth with these old trucks is that you can't get parts for these old motors anymore. Like you just can't find the things you need. They're out there. You just got to be good at looking for things. There's actually companies now that are recreating these parts aftermarket. You can't get OEM parts for them which means original manufacturer parts. They don't, Cummins doesn't make new engine components for this engine anymore. But there's so many of them out there. Aftermarket companies have created these parts with a few tweaks and modifications to them and offer them for sale. Anyway, so this thing's fresh built, it's rebuilt, it's, it's, it's clean. This is what else drew me to it. Most old aerodynamic trucks are just rattled to pieces. The fairings and stuff that they put on them for aerodynamics they're, you know, they're plastic and fiberglass fairings and they, they deteriorate and fall apart if you don't really keep up on them. This thing's just clean, man. All the pictures, of course, it's like, it's like almost a thousand miles away in Minnesota. And so I didn't, didn't go out and look at it, but I'm watching the auction and the auction day comes and I bought it. I won the auction and I bought it way cheaper than, way cheaper than I ever dreamed that it would go for. In fact, I haven't bought a truck for this cheap probably in eight years. Do you think they valued it higher, real high? So it made you think you're getting a deal. I, like you should do a benefit auction. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe they tricked me. Yeah, I fell for one of my own things. No, I'm kidding. I know. I know. Cause you watch the markets. Like you have a, you yeah, have like, an idea of what I mean, it should be. You just, there's just not trucks out there that are going to sell for less than, you know, 15. I mean, a just total bombed out semi. You're still going to be looking to pay 15,000 for these days. It wasn't even close to that. So now I start to worry because you buy it and you're like, yes. And I tell Haley, you know, and she's, she's, we've mentioned this before, but she's always like, awesome. Way to follow your dreams. You know, you're like, oh, okay. And then you lay there and the pain meds start to wear off and you're like, boy, that was not much money. 
Hmm. You start, then you start to second guess real bad and think, what kind of a wreck did I just get into financially? Even though it was cheap, this could just be a huge waste of money. So I call, I, I, I get the guy's number, pay for, I wire the money, pay for the truck to the auction company, call the guy up. And I'm like, hey, I'm the guy. And it was so cheap. Now that I've paid for it, what's wrong with it? Yes. I was like, hey, I opened the conversation by saying, hey, man, what happened with that truck? I wanted to approach it that way because I wanted to know, like, I, I felt bad. This, I feel like this thing sold for 25% of what it should have. And he goes, you want to know the truth about that truck? And he's kind of laughing. And I'm like, well, I wired the money yesterday. So, so I guess so. And he goes, I paid $40,000 for that truck last fall. And I'm like, and he goes, and that's that. He goes, we were hauling corn from our farm. We had 150 semi loads of corn to haul to the elevator from their farm. And their main truck they run blew up. Engine goes bad. And he goes, we're in the middle of needing to haul. Don't have a lot of time to choose and decide. Normally, you know, you just fix your truck takes probably three weeks and they'll have it overhauled and you go back to work. They didn't have time for that. So he calls his shop roundabout way. He's like, Hey, I just overhauled this truck for so-and-so he's, he's not going to keep it. He wants to sell it now that he overhauled it. So the, this farm, this corn farmer buys the truck says he says he paid 40,000 for it. I've got the receipts for the overhaul, $23,000 overhaul done last, last winter. And he goes, we got the truck. We brought it back. We hauled corn. They put between five and 10,000 miles on it, hauling corn to the elevator. And then he goes, and we parked it for the winter. And in the meantime, they took their main truck, took it into the same mechanic that built my truck and he overhauled their truck. So now they got their truck back. It's, it's now present day. They've got two semis. They don't need them. And they went, well, what should we do here? Well, they love their truck. It's newer and, and they got a fresher, a more updated motor. They weren't into toy trucks when they were kids. They weren't into toy trucks when they were kids. I didn't recognize the significance <laughs> of that. And, and he goes, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's uncomfortable to drive because old trucks, they put a wall right behind. They separated the, the cab and the sleeper are two different pieces. And they just cut a little hole that you crawl through to get into the sleeper. Mm. Nowadays, the whole cab is one molded piece. So you can recline your seat back clear into the sleeper mm. you can slide it back you got all kinds of leg room this isn't that way you go back and you hit the wall and he goes hired man's like six three we're six one calling corn all day it's our other one's just way more comfortable so we decided to sell this one so i was like well what about the price what's wrong well, how come nobody why was i the only guy to bid on this truck and he goes that was just my bad he goes i completely spaced the auction he goes i had lined up i was gonna have a friend bid on it and bid it up which is normal for an online auction kind of thing, you know, kind of protect the, the piece. And he goes, I completely spaced it. And by the end of the conversation, I was just waiting for him to go, would you sell it back to me? Because <laughs> I was feeling bad for him, you know? And he never asks. And he goes, it's my bad. I mean, it's, I'll be honest. I could, I could probably, you know, renegotiate with the auction company and throw a fit or something. He goes, this is my bad. It's, it's my mistake. So come get it. He goes, you're not going to believe how nice it is when you get here. You'll be like, wow. So I drove out last week and we jumped in and I had a friend, young trucker, young kind of a guy mentoring actually had him jump in the car and he followed me home in the car. And I drove this thing a thousand miles back 
and it's got a few little things it needs as any 30 plus year old truck would, but like it is clean. It's quiet. The ceiling's not falling in, you know, a lot of older stuff, the headliners and stuff start to sag and fall. It's just clean all around. Needs probably four or five days worth of, you know, work in the shop to polish it up and shine it. And it needs a few new parts and stuff that I noticed, but the, the bones of it are, are good. So the next step now, what I did is I, of course, made a YouTube video out of this on Wild Wild West and I released the video and I, I'll be honest, I bought the truck initially to try to flip it. That's why I was like, hey, this is cheap. If it's decent, I can turn around, probably double or triple my money on it. And that's kind of my plan. Well, then I start going, man, boys, it's the same engine that dad has in his truck. <laughs> It's going to sound just like it used to sound when I used to drive dad's truck. And sure enough, as I'm driving home from Minnesota, I hit the Jake brakes and just takes me back to like coming off Cliff Avenue into Sioux Falls to unload pigs, the sound of the Jake brakes, you know, and I'm like, oh man. So after a thousand miles of just walking down memory lane, I get home and I'm like, I don't know if I can sell it. This is my problem. I, I don't know if I can resell this thing. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do with it? I don't need it. I have these other great trucks that I run that are, using and going that don't need all this work. Not that this needs a lot of work, but they're, they're on the road. So I had this idea and my idea, and this would be kind of fun maybe to talk about on the podcast as it, as it happens, if it happens, but I had this thought that it would be fun to kind of put my money where my mouth is with old cheap equipment. You know, I've been talking on here about my philosophy on how to get into trucking, you know, don't go into debt, buy a cheap truck, make sure you have X amount of dollars in the bank and go out and go start that way and, and suffer and struggle and watch yourself grow. And I've done that. I've experienced that already, but I had this thought that it might be kind of fun to take this truck, license it up, you know, do the little tweaks. It probably needs tops, maybe $1,500, $2,000 worth of work to get it all where I want it. Would it be fun to take this truck and put it on the road as a cheap old truck? It's got a good motor, got some other question marks. Don't know about the rear end or the transmission. They might go out, who knows, but that's buying a cheap used truck. Should I put it on the road and document be open and transparent with the business side of it and say, all right, here's my truck. I got this much money into it. Here's my operating fund. This is the loads I've got. We're going to haul this load. This is you know, how much I made from the load. It goes into the savings when I have a breakdown and just share it all to show and, and show people again in this modern day that this is how you can 100% make it in the trucking world, even when trucking is getting bad. Cause it's trucking right now is it's really getting, it's getting bad. There's going to be a lot of people really suffering the next, you know, the next year we've mentioned that. So I made this YouTube video and I mentioned this just like, well, I don't know what to do with this thing. What should I do with it? Would you guys ever be interested in seeing this? And you can't believe the amount of comments of old timers going, well, that's how we started. Younger guys going, I drive for someone right now. I would love to get into business for myself, but I don't, I don't know where to start. I have no idea. I would love to see you do this because it would, you know, show, would give me an idea. Kind of as a mentorship way to be able to sort of online video, whatever mentor young guys. So 
so it was just cool to see. I mean, there's, there must be 40 or 50 comments on that video of people saying, please do this. Now it won't be comfortable or fun for me because I'm, I'm kind of over the hump where I don't need to be out suffering in an old truck that's a little tighter and not quite as comfortable for a tall guy. But for the sake of showing that it can be done, I don't know. I haven't had something that's excited me like that in a while. And I'm, and I'm really thinking about it. Oh, I think you should. It would be cool. I think it should. Yeah, I think you should. I mean, I think what you should do too is hire yourself to pull your own trailers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that'll be, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm going to do. I'm going to lease on to myself. Because you'd need to do that to show because if right. someone has the truck, like, oh, what am I going to pull? Well, mm-hmm. go find, go find so, someone yeah. who needs right. stuff. Go, bolts go lease on and pull a trailer. For, so yeah, I'm going to pull a trailer from my own company for a certain percent, just like anybody would have to pay and just show it all, you know? Yeah. I like it. I feel like it could be a really cool thing that might, I like it. It would be, I think it'd be interesting for regular truckers to watch, even people that are like already in it just to be reminded of, you know, some of the good old days. And, uh, for those that are aspiring to become, I think it could be a good resource for them. I think so. Um, and I think what we should, well, I say we, but, you're the one doing it. But if you're talking about it on this podcast, we've talked about, we're getting to the point where we're so busy and carving time out that we need to start trying to develop some sponsorship on this podcast to help mm-hmm. offset some of the time we're putting into it. But this might be a neat thing to develop some sponsorships. But as you're doing all this, is, and this would make a shortcut for some of the people that are watching and might try and recreate it is you've found out some of your vendors, mm. vendors, 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 <laughs> some of your vendors that, that work well for you, whether it's parts, different services, tire brands and stuff, right? Whatever. So yeah. going through and finding all the vendors you've worked with and, and going and saying, Hey, here's, I've got my YouTube channel and I've got my podcast that I'm doing this all on. Mm-hmm. You are the ones who I've used for years and I'm going to be speaking a lot about this. Can we develop a partnership? Hmm. that you yeah. know you can help fund some of this right kick something back here to me that i'm you know sponsor this be part of you know part of this as i'm doing this series on yeah showing how people do this that might be an idea yeah that's a great idea because there will be some suffering involved for me after driving it a thousand miles home i realize there will be a little there you know there's a reason that they did update the styles of the semis well the one thing is <laughs> Is as soon as you make some money, you can upgrade to a different <laughs> semi. You can show that part really quick okay. too. All right, guys, we made some quick money this month. It's time to move on. <laughs> that's it. No. So anyway, that's the new truck. It'll be fun to, I think I'm going to roll forward with it. I don't know when it'll start. You know, we've got, I might incorporate it into hauling cattle maybe this fall. Maybe, maybe not. I might wait till the fall runs over and hook a hopper trailer onto it so I can get around the country a little more easily. I've still got a lot of details to figure out in my mind, but well, something to, but it's my outline. Well, right on. Well, I got to go get back on the tractor. Finish right. this hanging up. Yeah, your eyes, you're, you're, uh, you must be doing something that's dusty. I see your eyes. Have been a little bit red and little red. itchy. Yeah. And yeah, all that cutting, cutting all that grass, just all the kick up and yeah. raking and the dust. And then I did have to, I did have to hand load some bales last night. I, I see the flatbed had a bunch on it. Yeah. <laughs> I got one little stretch there. I had to go out and load some last night. Uh-huh. But, I, uh, what was I going to say? 
oh, it seems like when you're, it seems like when you are raking, especially in an open cab tractor, you know, you, you go down one direction and you turn around and come back and you, you just can't ever quite go fast enough to outrun the, the slow wind that's just pushing the dust, kind of the same speed you're at to where you just stick your <laughs> neck out and you can kind of get a fresh breath. And then yeah. you just can't quite go, you can't go any faster because then you'll be going too fast, but you're just kind of stuck in the perpetual. You know, I, when I got my tractor, you have the option for open cab or cab uh-huh. and I, it's a 60 horsepower tractor, not real big. I was like, ah. Uh, we grew up, we grew up, we grew up, dad, dad never had a cab on his tractors. <laughs> so yeah, well, I don't need, I don't need a cab. And then I'm out, you know, 40 degrees below zero feeding. <laughs> <laughs> I've got multiple layers of scarves wrapped around my face with ski goggles on because just the three miles per hour you're driving makes the wind chill like 40. <laughs> it adds another negative 40 to your already 40 below. Oh. And then in this, and you know, yeah, when you're raking and doing this stuff, all the dust and stuff you're eating. But, but once you get back in from all that, isn't it like, man, that, that really took me back. It really took me back to the old so days. Just think about like that as you're in this truck getting hammered, beat up on the roads. Right. So, so yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I sometimes I go, man, that, couple extra thousand for that cab might have been worth it so the bail grapple that you just ordered might be followed by potential trade-in potential upgrade well the bail grapple goes on the skid steer right but i mean your next equipment upgrade may be a cab on the uh maybe <sighs> yeah that's hard to justify yeah i'm want i'm see i'm wanting to get a i'm wanting to get a new stock trailer and i because i haul cattle and sheep and i'm i'm really developing plans to get into goats and these meat goats, these stock trailers, you get one that you can has a decking in it. So you can have an upstairs and a downstairs essentially. So you can haul twice as many sheep or goats on it. And you and I were talking about this. I said, maybe we should mention on the podcast that one thing that I, you find is goats and sheep. There's not a lot of big producers around, you know, people that have hundreds or thousands of them. It seems like it's a people get a few. They have a couple of babies for years. They need to get rid of and they get tired of them and they get rid of everything because yeah. they can't keep it in. So there's, there's always just a trickle of a few, a few head of, of sheep or goats in the area that people seem to have. But really the only place to, to sell them is down at the auctions and billings, which is a what, five hour drive from here, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And so if you've got two 50 pound goats, <laughs> you can't afford to drive all the way to Billings. Drive to, I mean, you, but that's what you have to do because that's the only place outlet for them. So what's happened is in this area, there's, there's, it's kind of known. There's one person who organizes and puts out every month and a half or two months uh, an alert and says anybody have stuff that needs to go to the sale, and so they'll have a semi come through that meets in a central location, and they try and put a semi load together of people bringing one. Yeah, one old lot of nasty smelling goat to maybe 20 <laughs> head of lambs to, you know, and just piece together a semi load. And then the semi driver charges, whatever he charges and divides it by however many head of animals are on. It, and then you pay your, your portion. So I was, I was considering if I got a double deck trailer that I could, I could, this is gooseneck just pulled by a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. I could periodically take a load down to Billings to offset the cost of a new trailer somewhat. I think there's enough 
there's enough. And and one thing is is this truck that gets together. It's the drivers usually very, very unhappy. A little impatient. Yeah. First of all, de- loading sheep and goats. It, it's yeah. It's, it's a, a lot. it's an exercise in patience. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the thing to take that over the top is to think of the you know the. Trying to even describe the the people who bring these in. It's you know <laughs> someone who 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 thinks a couple goats are going to be nice, cute pets, they and they no, might haul them in maybe in the back of their suburban. Almost every time, yeah, like not in a trailer. Usually, like, usually it's a not a suburban. Box. Usually, it's a Subaru. <laughs> okay, okay. So just give you an idea. So just the... just think about. I want you to just close your eyes and picture the Subarus you've seen. Uh huh. And just let your let your imagination drip forward to the person driving it. You know, and they kind of made those with some dog cages and stuff. They like they have the actual cage option to keep yeah I dogs. Think, from- I think that was completely because the typical person who's driving a Subaru is usually going to have a a child that's not a human. Yeah, right. So the dog. Mm-hmm. So the, the Subarus. There's a whole there's a whole culture around Subarus, yeah. but there's there's a little extension that goes into wanting to try having a couple goats or a couple okay. sheep okay. and it doesn't always work out. And so they end up needing to get rid of them. And so they come in and the livestock drivers, you know, they're, they need to be on the road. Like, yeah, let's get rolling. You got to get yeah. moving with these animals on there. And so things are, let's get after it. Let's load. Let's get things going. A little bit of hollering, a little bit of, Mm-hmm. sheep and sometimes it has to be physical loading versus because they don't chase real good so sometimes mm-hmm. you have to kind of carry them almost up you know ramps and and so you have that that mindset of the livestock hauler who is already a couple hours behind because he's had a couple other very similar stops and so by the time he gets to this last stop before billings he's usually pretty unhappy impatient way behind schedule and then he's got to continue to deal with people who really love their pet goat <laughs> and there's a little bit of conflict of yeah. conflict of personality so you're you're feeling like you might because you have you're a producer you might be able to bridge this gap a little bit yeah because i'm i i feel like i would be a little more gentle in handling the animals mm-hmm. and in addition i feel like i have more experience than the truck driver handling sheep mm-hmm. sheep particularly yep um yep. all so that I, I, all i'm getting out of this is that after a year I think we're, are we over a year now? A podcast? I think in August. So after almost a year of continually mentioning that you have no trucking anything to offer, you've been bit by the trucking bug and you actually want to dip your toes into the water of livestock hauling. Hot shot livestock hauling. hauling. (laughs) Cool, man. you know what we're getting we're hey, getting way out of so I want, anyway I, I want everyone to do a slow clap wherever you're at right now for Luke because he is getting ready to do it I think my tagline <laughs> would be something on live I handle your animals the way you'd want them to be handled or, I don't know something <laughs> like that get it in vinyl on the side of your trailer <laughs> no I, I just thought that just taking a load a month down to billings of, of stuff that would probably offset the cost of buying buying a double deck trailer and how about maybe a brotherly maybe a biannual brotherly road trip back east with a load of your meat goats to sell direct on the east coast uh-huh. you and the semi mean the gooseneck or you know just both of us in your gooseneck both of us in the gooseneck out and back you know yeah I think yeah there's a lot of possibilities 
but I called you and asked, how do you even begin to price what you charge? Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember this. And time. so you started going through and said, you know what? Maybe this would be something on the podcast for anyone who's trying to price out how to charge mm-hmm. calling something for someone. What, what, what do you go through yeah. to figure that out? So my, my basic rule of thumb, this is a good little nugget. If you didn't listen to the very end of the podcast, you missed out on this. So those of you that stuck through to the end, you're going to get a little nugget. Uh, it's hard to say because you're, you deal with so many different, you know, one guy wants you to haul hay, one wants you to haul cattle, one wants you to haul freight. My general rule of thumb is that I base my prices off of my fuel expenses. So, because fuel expenses are up and down, that's our biggest variable. And so to stay consistent, I have kind of a, a rough chart in my head drawn up that I base what I charge off of. So, generally speaking, this isn't every time, you guys, this is just kind of my general range. You shouldn't be trucking for any less than, I mean, the bottom, bottom, bottom should be your fuel cost times 2.5. So if, if your fuel cost was $1,000 for a load, the absolute cheapest that you should have hauled that load would be $2,500. And I'm talking that is the bottom. And it depends if, if you were loaded, you know, prior to that, or if you were if you were empty before that, like with cattle, cattle's a little different. I wouldn't do cattle for two and a half times my fuel costs. I would do that with my hopper because I likely got a load out to where I was going, found a reload to go back to where I was from. And that's where that two and a half times my fuel would come into play. A good solid range is if you can get fuel times three, fuel times four, that's really good running. If it's fuel times five, you better gather that up because fuel times five is typically like a cow haul where we get paid to drive out there and we get paid to drive home empty to get another load. So to, to, to know what your fuel costs are, you got to know what you're getting miles per gallon. Right. Generally. Right. So that's why, that's why you can, and people say this isn't, it's kind of debatable in the trucking world where some folks say, why well, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter what you drive, you know, a load should just, you should charge what you charge. Well, when, when everything's good and there's just loads everywhere, okay, I follow you there. But when things get tight, you naturally have to be able to become more competitive. If you want loads and you want to make things work, I mean, you got to be able to be competitive. So if you are someone that has an efficient setup, when things get really tight, you can make it on a lot less than you can if you were driving a really inefficient truck. Okay, so let's... That uh, makes sense. So if I was taking a, a load of sheep mm-hmm. Billings, so Billings is okay. 255 miles from here. Okay. Oh, diesel truck loaded, what do you think? I'm going to get say, about 12 miles a gallon? I would put it at 10 just to be safe for your average. Okay. So I get 10 miles per gallon. That means I'm doing 30 gallons of gas about then? To get down there. Yeah, it's basically a fill up to get down, okay. fill up to get back. So that's one way. So times up by two. So I got, let's just call it 50 gallons of gas. What gas is 450 right now? Four, you can put it 420. Okay, so I'm going to have 210 in gas. Mm-hmm. About times up by three. So I get, I charge 630. And that's, and that's just like, okay. Like that's not, it's not a great load. It's not a bad load. You're getting your own stock on this load down there. So you're getting there <clears throat> anyway. It helps you. 
So now let's figure out what that is per mile. So take 255 times two. Okay, 510. So that's total miles. So 600 and whatever your total pay was there. 630. Divided by 510. This is going to sound really bad, but this is in a pickup. You got to remember. So $1.23 per mile. Right. Now your cost on that, this sounds, you got, and we're talking to a truck, like big rig truckers. So I would never haul a load ever for a dollar twenty. Just so you guys know, I would absolutely <laughs> not. I would not haul a load of semi for a dollar twenty three a mile. Now, if you had a load of your own sheep that needed to go to market and you could put some neighbor stuff on there and get paid six hundred dollars, you know. And that needs to be like your 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 low low, whether you have a full load on or not. That's gotta kind of be your bottom line with the pickup. So here's how you'd look at it. So I think one of those double deck trailers, you could get 70 to 100 head on it, mm -hmm. depending how, you know, how big they are. Now, let me real quick, just before we lose people, because there's probably a lot of people losing their mind right now over this math. Okay. I think that if you were going to Billings, hauling livestock, I'm more at fuel times five. Okay. So let's rework this with fuel times five just to cool some flames that are undoubtedly raging out there at this moment. So basically what we're talking about is if I'm hauling my own livestock down to the sale and I have extra room on my truck and I have neighbors who need to get stuff down there, but they, they really can't drive to Billings for three head and I'm already going, right. how am I going to figure out what would be a fair thing to charge mm -hmm. to do this? And you don't want to undercut people that are full-time in the industry either. Like you need to be respectful of that. So, I mentioned before, you need to factor in, are you driving home empty? Are you hauling a load back? No, I'm driving home empty. So you're driving home empty. So I would not haul livestock times three, fuel cost times three. That, that's enough to get you down there. So let's go back and work that math again. Take your $625 that you're going to make okay, or whatever it was and divide that by 255 miles. All right, that's 245. That's 245 a running mile hauling your stuff and your neighbors down, down there. That's not bad for, for a pickup and doing what you're doing with your own stuff. Okay. So let's say I would be, if I was having to bounce home, I would want fuel times five. So take your 50 gallons times five. Oh, sorry. 50 gallons times 420 a gallon. That's $210 times, times five. That's okay. So you need, that's more like where you need to be, especially because you're dealing with all these different people's stuff. It's a so, headache. So then... So if my, my trailer fits, let's just say 70 head on it. Mm -hmm. So I divide that by 70. So everyone that puts something on there would pay $15 per head, mm -hmm. which. And that will, that will change that. That's kind of, if you're going down and back. It'd be nice to go down there between 800 and a thousand dollars. So if you've got a light load, okay. Base, however many head you have off of $800, you know, you tell the producers, well, it's going to be a little more this time because we couldn't fill the truck. I tell you what, if I had two sheep I needed to get rid of, I would pay $15 per head <laughs> instead of me driving instead myself you to, driving all to the Billings. Way. Right. So here you found a little niche that you could, this is a great example. Hey, you've, you've discovered something, a need that needs to be filled. And here you are now doing the math going, okay, what would we need to charge? So I hope you guys listened all the way through that to the end. Because when that $1.23 came out, <laughs> what is this idiot? <laughs> what is he talking about? Oh, so anyway, remember that I, I love, that's how I love to do things. Fuel costs. I don't get real excited about a load that pays me times three. 
That was when I first started hauling cattle. That's what we were getting when fuel was high back in 2012, I think it was, or whenever that, I think it was 2012. I was going to Nebraska and back and the full rate that all of us cow haulers were getting was our fuel cost times three. And I still was able to grow my business at that rate. And it wasn't great, but that's just what it was when the fuel was high last time. So since then we've tried to, I've used that just as my base bottom line going, I don't ever want to work early for less than that. Unless I, you know, you know, the situation arises, but fuel times three is kind of two and a half. Like, ooh, it's not good. Like I said, fuel times three is where I would like to have my lowest bar. Fuel times five, fuel times six. That's great. Like, that's great. All right. Well, with that, man, let's, let's get out of here.